Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we're continuing in our series called The Gift. Um, And this is a Christmas series because we're in the Christmas season. This is the most, for many people, the most exciting season of the year. It's the moment in human history that we celebrate the most important human to ever live, the most important man to ever walk the face of the earth. And we're celebrating in this time the fact that he didn't come as an adult king. He didn't come as a spirit. He came as a baby. And that baby came in a very humble form into a very broken earth to rescue us. And so that's why we celebrate Christmas. And one of the things we do, many of us during Christmas, is we give gifts. Now, how many of you, I want you I'm not going to ask you to say anything, okay, but how many of you remember the best gift that you've ever received? How many of you remember that? The best gift that you've ever gotten. I want you to think about that for a moment and how special it was. Now, this wasn't necessarily the best gift, but I just got an incredible gift. Um, A few days ago, I went shooting clay with a marksman in our church, Soupy Broussard. Many of you know Soupy and Sheila. She owns um, Mimi's Floral, but he he took me out, and he's a marksman, and he trains um, people how to shoot. I'm an avid duck hunter. I love hunting duck. If you have a problem with killing duck, this is probably not the church for you. (laughs) Can I just say my wife's like, babe. But I love, but here's the problem. I love hunting duck. The problem is I don't always kill them because I'm not a good shot. (laughs) And it takes a lot of humility to have a duck hunter say that. Okay, but... He took me out and was showing me different things and showing me how to position. And man, it was so much fun. It was a great gift. Now, you can think about those great gifts that you've received. Now, equally, you may have the greatest gift that you've ever gotten. But I would venture to say you also have and know that gift that was the worst gift that you ever got. Most of you can recall very quickly that gift that you got. And when you got it, you thought, what in the world is this? Right? And so not, these are not those kinds of gifts. These are actually, I'm going to explain this. How many of you remember when you were a kid when you got socks and underwear for Christmas and you were wondering, what is this? Now, how many of you as adults wish someone was giving you socks and underwear? How maturity changes things. Like, please. You get excited when you see Fruit of a Loom, Right? But I can remember the worst gift that my wife and I collectively were given. And it was given by my brother-in-law. I remember he gave me this gift. And so I remember getting it and we were both like, what in the world is this? Now, in his defense, these were in his drug using days. And so (laughs) he's not here, I can say that. I'm not going to tell you which one it was. Um, So I want to actually show you a picture of it. (laughs) We were at the big family Christmas gathering, and he's like, 
And we're thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> I think we put it away in our closet or something in case he asked for it. We're like, hey, still got it. I don't know where it is now. But those are those kind of gifts that you get it and you think, what in the world, right? Now, there are also gifts that you can be given that require something of you. They're gifts that you receive that you know, once I get this gift, I now have to do something with this gift. And so an, an example of that, and let me just say this, I love dogs, okay? I don't, I don't like cats, but I love dogs. But when it comes to dogs, if you're given a dog, you are given a responsibility. You are now, your gift is, hey, by the way, you now have something to pay for. You now have to go get shots. You now have to buy food at Costco, because we all know that's where the cheapest dog food is. Right, you now have to clean up, you now have to clean up after something. Why, you're given a gift that requires something of you. Another type of gift is, and I love this, this video that I found online that I thought was so true because, you know, we watch those Lexus commercials when like the, the husband and the wife are sitting down by the fire and he's like, hey baby, here's, open this one last gift. And she opens it up in his car keys to Lexus and they go out and there's a bow on top and they're all like, <laughs> but we all know that is not reality. And the video I saw actually showed what a real conversation would be like. He hands her the box, she opens it, she gets the keys, and she says, what's this? And he says, it's a brand new Lexus. And her response is what every good wife in this place would be. This is a major purchase. You have to discuss these things with me. We're trying to rebuild our credit. We cannot afford this. That's a picture of real life. That's a real picture. Another type of gift like that, and they are absolute gifts from God, is when you have a child. That is a gift that changes things. That is a gift that alters your life, right? And you have to now do a lot of things. I want you, as a parent, some of you grandparents, because some of you haven't remembered what life was like without a child has been alone. Some of you have, well, I'm just going to get into it. I'm going to show you a few ways that your life has changed with a child. Number one, you look different. <laughs> and if you don't believe that, just take, pull out a picture of you pre-children and then look at you. You're a lot more tired, right? You're a lot more exhausted. You look different. You sleep different. With children, usually, especially, it's like when, when you bring that baby home and they're beautiful, but then that first night they keep you up, and then that second night they keep you up, and then for the next 20 years they keep you up. <laughs> you sleep different. Some of you have not had a nap since 1975. <laughs> especially on a Sunday. I don't even remember what Sunday naps are like. And when we were married, newlyweds, we'd go home after church, like, we're so tired. Oh, let's just go take a nap. I don't even know what that's like anymore. You look different. Your car looks different. Some of you moms have French fries in there that are sharp enough to cut paper. Your car looks different. You have Cheerios and raisins. You make your own trail mix underneath the car seat. 
And lastly, I'll say this. Your Christmases look different. How many people remember before kids when your parents actually bought you presents? Now, they push you out of the way so they can give gifts to the grandkids. Right? Children change things. They change our lives. A baby changes everything. This morning as we look at the the greatest gift ever given to mankind in the form of a child, in the form of a baby, this baby changed everything. Now, when you hear that, we, we, we immediately think about all of the positive things that came from that. But just this morning, I want you to get into the story a little bit and look at the lives of the people who were immediately affected by this gift that was given. Their lives changed. The trajectory of their life was altered in ways that they never could have imagined. And that's what I want to dive into today as we look at the story of Jesus. Now, most of you know, again, the story of of Mary and the birth of Jesus. And we think about the glorious moments where the angels are singing and the shepherds come and eventually the wise men come and they bring frankincense and myrrh, right? And they they, they do all of this gold to Jesus. We understand that part of the story. But with this gift given by God, it brought a lot of change. It brought a lot of sudden, abrupt, and in many cases, painful change. Because when change comes into our life, it's painful. When you are planning one thing and then life has a way of shifting your direction, a lot of times it's a very painful thing to go through. And even if we understand that the change is a good thing, it's still painful. There's still moments that we have to, th- to, to deal with the unpredictability of it and, and the stability that we thought this is how life is going to look. And now it's changing and we don't know what to do with that. That's what I want to look at this morning as we talk about this great gift given by God into the life of the world, but specifically in the Joseph and Mary. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, we're still in there. This is what it says. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Very important for us to note. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, another translation says she was betrothed, and we'll talk about that more as well, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quickly. Now, in biblical times, engagements could come very early in the life of a person. Your engagement actually could to uh, your spouse, your future spouse could be arranged by your parents even as a child. They could have arranged it if they lived in a village and, and your parents grew up in a village and, and they could say, well, they're on the same age or closer. I think they'd be good together. And they would arrange these marriages as you were children in many cases. Now, how many of you as a side note are grateful your parents did not pick your spouse? Okay. How many of you on the hand wish your parents picked? Don't, don't raise your hand, especially if your spouse is here. But that's the way it worked. And, and the, way, the way it would work, excuse me, would be you would have this engagement period where you knew, but the next step above your engagement period was what they called being a spouse to or betrothed to that person. It was a probably about a year-long process where you're getting to really deeply know them. 
right? It's almost similar to the way we do things, but the way we do things is we date for a while. We have, quote, unquote, a courtship or a dating relationship or whatever it is you want to call it. And then the next step of being serious is to be engaged, which if you're young and you're single or you're engaged, I'll just give you some advice. Long dating relationship, short engagement. Just that's practical wisdom for you. Just hold on to that. But in this period, they would have about a year-long espousal where they were getting to really deeply know each other. And as a matter of fact, that period was so binding, excuse me, that you had to divorce that person if you walked away. Now, they weren't intimate yet. They haven't slept with one another yet. That came after the final process of marriage. But in this period, it was so binding that you had to divorce that person if you were going to end this relationship. Are y'all tracking with me? Two people, are y'all tracking with me? Okay. That's how serious this relationship, this espousal period or this betrothal period was. You had to be divorced. Now, Joseph and Mary were in that period. They were in the, the betrothed stage of their relationship and they weren't married, but they were committed. They were committed. This is the way life was going to go for them in their minds. I believe Joseph was ready for a family. I believe Mary was ready for her family. This is where they were going, and they were almost there. And then an angel shows up and speaks to Mary and says, Blessed are you, most blessed women of all the earth. God is going to give you, you're going to give birth to a son. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. And she receives this, and it's an incredible promise, an incredible gift from God, but it is wrapped up in pain. Can you imagine a conversation between Joseph and Mary when she finally breaks the news to him? I, just, I picture they're sitting at Jet Coffee, <laughs> and they're outside so that not everybody can hear their business. And they're having this conversation, and Joseph's just, I love you. I'm so excited. I can't wait. And she says, Joseph, I have some news for you. Why, Mary, anything. You can tell me anything. Joseph, I'm pregnant. What? Mary, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to us? Who's, uh, who's the daddy? Is it Nehemiah? I've seen the way he looks at you. <laughs> and it was just this conversation, no, Joseph is not Nehemiah. Well, who's the daddy? It's God. She's crazy too. Oh my God. <laughs> Just, I picture that conversation and I'm being, being a little bit funny, but the truth is this was a major change in the direction of their life that we, we glance over these details, but this hit them like a Mack truck. This changed everything in their lives. And this was not the plan. This was not the way they were supposed to begin their happy family. They saved themselves for one another. They'd possibly known each other since they were children. And yet, here they are, this far away from marriage, and now this. This was not the plan. Things were not supposed to go this way. And I think for many of us, we can relate to that. When life happens and it's not the way we anticipated and it's not the way we planned it, and God, even though he has something good in store, we can't see it because all we can see is the change and the pain and how sudden everything is. Are y'all tracking with me? 
This great gift that God gave to, to mankind and gave to them was wrapped in a teenage girl. This great gift that God gave was wrapped in pain. It was wrapped in people not understanding what was going on. It was wrapped in scandal. And it was wrapped in a very uncomfortable situation. And I think if we're being honest, many of us can say the same, that some of God's greatest gifts in our lives have been wrapped up in painful situations, have been wrapped up in things that we didn't understand, and sometimes even the people around us didn't understand. So when a drastic change comes, we don't often know what to do with it. When something comes as a gift, but it's packaged in pain, we don't know what to do. We don't know what direction to go in. And, and it can leave us feeling like, I don't know what to do. I'm in the dark. Can I tell you what you do in those situations? You trust God's word. Because it doesn't seem like going through life comes with an instruction manual. But I promise you that there is an instruction manual. And it's called the word of God. And God will speak to you. Yeah, God will speak to you through the Bible. And God will speak to you through the Spirit. And God will speak to you through his people to give you guidance when you don't know what direction to turn. Because I believe for Joseph, as he's hearing this, everything in life has changed for him. And he doesn't know where to go until the voice of God comes and speaks to him. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I want to first talk about three things that you can do. What are three things that you do whenever sudden change comes into your life? Drastic change comes into your life. Tragedy comes into your life. Trauma comes into your life. What do you do? Because I'm very well aware that, again, for many of us, Christmas is an amazing time of celebrating and worshiping God. But for others, it's simply a reminder of your pain. It's simply a reminder of what you don't have that you used to have. And it hurts. So what do you do with that? Number one, if you're taking those very simple, write this down. Don't panic. Don't panic. Trust God. When life throws you major curveballs, you're tempted. I know what you're tempted to do. Because it's what we're all tempted to do. To overreact. We're tempted to change everything around us based upon the experiences that we've had. Can I tell you, that is the worst time to make major life-altering decisions. When you're in the middle of pain, the worst, that is the worst time to trust your own self-counsel and to change everything about your life. That's the worst time to do that. Trauma has a way of creating a lens in which we see the world. Because once the shock wears off, once the immediate, immediate pain wears off, and we're left with the lasting damage of it, we have this way of seeing everything through the lens of that trauma. And we have a way of seeing everyone else's intentions through the lens of that one person who had negative intentions towards us. That's the way that bad experiences work. That's the way trauma works. And when I'm speaking with people who are facing major life changes, one of the things that they need to hear and is one of the things you need to hear. The same God, look up here, don't miss this. The same God that was on the throne before that negative situation is the same God who's on the throne right now. 
If he loved you then, nothing about his love for you has changed. He still loves you. He's still with you. But when we're in those vulnerable places, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. That's where we trust God. And I know there are sometimes that certain words sound so cliche, but, and because we've heard them before, or maybe the volume in which we've heard them, we, we tend to just belittle the truth that's in them. Can I just tell you this truth at the risk of sounding a little bit cliche? When you cannot trust or you don't see God's hand, trust God's heart. When you don't see what he's doing, trust that his intentions towards you are still good. Trust that he is still sovereign and he still loves you. When things seem like they're out of your control, they have never stopped being under his control. And if he loves you and his will for you is good, that's where we trust him. Are y'all with me this morning? I don't think it's ironic that the Bible doesn't say much about Mary's response in all of this. I don't think it's ironic that once she heard the word of the Lord, yes, the Bible tells us about an interaction with her cousin Elizabeth, but then after that, I don't think we hear much about Mary at all until the birth of Jesus. Kind of fast forward. Why is that? I'll tell you why I believe that is. Because when she heard the word of the Lord, she trusted it. And it didn't matter what Joseph did, God was going to take care of her. God spoke, God, as we're getting ready to see, had to speak to Joseph. And God had to deal with Joseph. But the Bible doesn't say Mary chased him. The Bible doesn't say Mary went into a deep, dark depression. The Bible doesn't say much about Mary because once she heard the word of the Lord, I believe that's all she needed. Many of us need that, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. Don't overreact. Believe God. Trust him. Trust in his promises. Why? Because he's in control, and even in those hard moments, he's still taking care of you. He's still taking care of you. Number two, what do you do? Seek direction. Seek direction and keep following. Can I just tell you, trusting God does not mean that you don't ask questions. We've seen that even in the life of Abraham. Trusting God doesn't mean that you don't ask questions. There's a big difference between asking God a question and questioning God. One has the intentions of, I don't trust you. And one says, God, I just need wisdom, direction, and clarity. And God will give you wisdom, direction, and clarity. Or he'll give you the grace until he's ready to give you the wisdom, the direction, and the clarity. Because if he's for you, he's always teaching you, guiding you, helping you. Are y'all with me? When our world shifts and things don't seem to be stable anymore, we, we, tend, we have this tendency as human beings to isolate. We isolate from people and we start isolating from God. Something happens and we find ourselves pulling away from the very people that can help us through it and we find ourselves pulling ourselves away from the one God that wants to carry us through it. It's in our nature, it's human nature to just want to do that. Can I encourage you? Don't. No matter what you're facing, cling to God and cling to God's people. 
Because what you need more than anything else when you're walking through the darkness is someone to grab your hand and guide you through it. And that's what God will do. For Joseph, he's hit with this situation. And and humanly speaking, I don't know what I would do in that situation. He doesn't know who to trust, and he's trying to do the best that he can, and he's a good man. He wants to do right by Mary, but he also wants to honor the word of God. He wants to honor the law, and he had every right. He could have had her stoned. He could have had her killed. Next up, he could have just publicly divorced her and shamed her for the rest of her life. He decided on neither of those. His choice was to at least try to take care of her. Why? Because he loved her. And he was going to put her away quietly. But even in that, he was still wrong. Trying to make his own decision based off of his own wisdom was still wrong. And that paved the way for God to come, to send an angel to speak to him and to give him the clarity and the direction that he needed. And this is what happens. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. And did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, listen to this, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph didn't know what to do, God spoke. When Joseph didn't know what direction to go in, God directed him. Church, can I tell you, when you don't know what to do, God will direct you. When you're in the middle of this pain and everything seems cloudy and you have no idea what direction to go in, acknowledge him. Because there's a precious promise that God has given us. I'm going to read that promise to you. This is the promise from his word. There are times when we try to grab on to have promises that aren't really promises. They were conditional things that God spoke directly. But this is a promise for you. This is what that promise is in James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom. In other words, if you don't know what to do, you don't know what God wants, you don't know what direction to go, everything is dark. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, he won't correct you for asking. He won't rebuke you for asking for his wisdom and his direction. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Simply put, what's it saying? It's saying if you need direction, what's worse than not asking is asking and then getting it and then choosing to do the opposite. If you're going to ask him to direct you, believe that he's going to because he's just promised that he's going to. I don't know where to go. Father, show me what to do. He will give you that wisdom. And when he gives it to you, trust that is his will. And walk that thing out. Are y'all with me? 
Some of you need to hear this because you're walking through the dark valleys in this season of life. This is where you trust God will guide you through it. Don't isolate. Don't insulate. Keep following. Stay close to him. Stay close to his promises. Stay close to his word. I know what it's like to wake up and feel like I just so many things are going on. I don't really want to pray. That's the time to pray. Things are so dark, I don't want to read the Bible because I don't feel like I'm even going to be able to focus on Read it anyway. Because sometimes in those moments, a promise from God's word will jump off the pages and speak directly to you in the situation that you're in. Trust his word, trust his heart, trust his promises, and trust his family. Spiritual family. Let me tell you, church at its worst worst is an, an institution or a business. Church at its best is a family. This is not just a a service. This is not just a performance. This is the family of God gathering. And guess what? What you need for the things you're facing are actually in this room. Because that's the way God has designed the body, to feed other parts of the body. And I can't say to the ear, I don't need you. We need each other. And if you treat this church like the thing you attend once a week instead of the family that you're a part of, you are missing out on the best part of it. Missing the best part of it. And then lastly, number three. Again, this sounds cliche, but just because it sounds cliche takes nothing away from the mutable truth that it carries. Believe that it's all part of a bigger plan. Believe that it's all part of a bigger plan. And there's, listen, there are times when people are walking through pain and that's not the thing that they need to hear in the moment. But it doesn't change the fact that it is very much the truth. And there are moments that you need to hear that truth. That there is a bigger plan. How many of you know God's ways are not our ways? God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than our thoughts. They're bigger than our thoughts. His ways are higher and bigger. And there are things that we don't understand, but he still requires that we trust him and we follow him. Because sometimes as you keep following, you look in hindsight and you see why he did what he did. Sometimes you look in the rearview mirror and things are a lot clearer than they were when you were driving through the fog. God has a way, but we have to trust him. I don't always have the answer, but I always know who does. I know who always has the answer. And God's plan is bigger than ours. His ways are higher than ours, and we have to trust him. And here's the thing. We're also trusting in that moment that he's good. That even in hardships, that in that negative wrapping, in the the negative situation, the pain, the hardship inside of this is a gift from God somehow, some way, even when I don't get it. I want you to see this in this story. Verse 21, as this angel continues his conversation with Joseph, this is what he says. And he says, and she, speaking of Mary, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin." All of this occurred. Don't miss this. All of this is happening, Joseph, 
All of this is occurring for this reason, to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Now that prophet he's talking about was Isaiah, and that promise that he's talking about happened 700 years before this moment. A promise given 700 years prior to what Joseph has experienced now. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that's something to hold on to. And even in your pain, God's with you. Even in the confusion, God's with you. Why? He's promised us who he is. He's Emmanuel. He is the gift. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph wasn't aware that the part, the little part he was playing in this story was a part of a much bigger narrative. He didn't realize that the pain he felt in that moment was the fulfillment of a promise from someone else's pain 700 years before that. And here we are 2,000 years past that, rejoicing in the painful experience that Joseph faced. You have no idea what God can do with your pain. God wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. And there are people in this room, and I've walked with some of you through some of the most difficult times of your life that God, in only the way that he can, fulfills Romans 8.28 and works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I've walked with you through the, I can't believe this happened, and I have to go through this, and how do we tell our kids, and how do we, I've walked with you through that, only to see God transforming around, and now we're going, thank you, Jesus. It was hard. I didn't understand it, but thank you for your grace. He knows, you never judge a book in the middle until you're done. You don't open a book and go, this is what the story is about, because God hasn't finished writing it yet. At least he hasn't finished showing you. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I can remember, I have three beautiful girls, three beautiful daughters. I prayed for a boy. (laughs) And I say that jokingly, but I remember when we had our third child, I was it's going to be a boy. It's got to be a boy. It's got to be a boy. God didn't tell me it was going to be a boy. I just, with God, it's got to be a boy. And I can remember being in the, in the hospital room when I found out it wasn't a boy. I was depressed. I walked through a season where I was heavy. God, why? Why didn't you give us the son? This is what I wanted. This is what I desired. Now I look back. I'm a girl dad, and I love being a girl dad. And that little one that I was questioning about, I am wrapped around this with her. And I'm grateful for what God did. And I think about my firstborn. I can't remember. We, Lauren and I walked through. I wanted, it was a season of life. I don't, remember, I don't want to put an unfair timeline on it. But when we thought we can't, we, we probably wouldn't be able to have children. Because we were trying and nothing was happening. And I can remember when we we found out we were pregnant with Elan, my oldest, we were so excited, so very excited. And everything was like great. 
Everything was so smooth in the pregnancy. I mean, I say that I wasn't carrying her, but for me, everything was so smooth. <laughs> Could ask for anything smoother. Right up until probably a month, maybe less, before she was born. And we would pray. I mean, I remember putting, and parents, I encourage you to do this. I remember putting worship music up to my wife's belly so that we could worship God over my daughter. I wanted her to hear the praises of Jesus even before she came out of the womb. And I can remember this story. I mean, this story, we lived it. When my wife called me one day, and I'm at work, and she's crying because we had had an ultrasound done maybe, you know, two weeks to a month or so before that. And we didn't get the results. We never got the pictures. And she's crying. She said, I just heard from the doctor. And she's just crying and saying her little face, her little face. The doctor told us that she was born with a severe cleft palate. And if you don't know what that means, they were saying she was going to be born without an upper lip at all, at all. And I know that in modern medicine, in many cases, that's not a big deal, and they can fix that, and they can do it. But they were saying severe, and for us, it wasn't what we prayed for. Because I prayed, God, every step of the way, God, her, God, her development as a baby, develop her, guide her. And when we heard this, it was a shocker. And I can remember my wife crying on, on the couch when I came home. And I grabbed her, and something came over me. And I just began to quote the Word of God over her. I quoted the Scriptures over my child, and I quoted the Scriptures over my wife. And right around that time, they knew nothing. My wife's brother, Ian, I remember him calling out of the blue and saying, I was praying and something's going on with Elon, and I don't know what it is. He didn't know that we had just gotten this report. Pastor Jim LaFoon's nephew, Donnie, was here on staff at our church. He reached out and said, I'm praying that something's going on with Gabe and Lauren's daughter. God had them praying and interceding for something that they had no clue about. But we had just gotten hit with that news. And I'm, in that moment, I'm standing in faith and I'm refusing to believe it. And I remember when we got into the hospital to have the baby delivered. All of a sudden, the doctor's tone changed from this is a possibility to I overheard him telling the nurses this is what's going to happen. And they were getting ready and he cared. They actually gave my wife a C-section because they, they were rushing it. They were fully anticipating this child has a severe cleft palate. And the doctor's readying the nurses for this. And I'm in the hallway, and some of you maybe have never heard that, but we very much believe in this. I'm in the hallway in the hospital, and there's, I have worship music playing in the room, and I'm in the hallway praying in tongues praying in the Holy Spirit because I'm choosing not to believe what they said but to believe what the word of the Lord says and I'm by myself me and her and I'm praying and believing and we get into that room and they can me my daughter with a perfect upper lip perfectly intact and it was keep saying a month, but it was maybe a couple months after the fact. We, we bring her home, which is scary in and of itself, but we get her home and they later send us with the ultrasound pictures that they saw. And I'm telling you, we still joke about it to this day. She looked like a little gargoyle because there was nothing there. 
absolutely nothing, and you can't convince me otherwise. Jesus healed my baby. Healed Now, here's the thing. We love to celebrate. We love to celebrate the supernatural power of God. And I can tell you stories of my middle daughter, high A&A, and they're talking about lupus and all of that stuff, but then now that not being the case. I've seen the power of God move in our family. And we love to celebrate these things, but you know what we hate? That phone call, that something's wrong with your daughter. You know what we hate? Those tears of pain of wondering, God, are you going to come through? Is this going to happen? Sometimes the faith boosters that you need are wrapped up in painful circumstances. Sometimes you seeing the supernatural hand of God move in your natural life is wrapped up in tough circumstances that you would have never chosen, but it is a gift to God for you. But we have to be willing to trust him through it. We have to be willing to believe him through it. That's my challenge to you. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing today, he has a plan. He's still in control. He hasn't left you. Trust him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that when you send Jesus, you changed everything. And we understand that from a global perspective, but even in Joseph and Mary's life, thank you for the testimony of how in their pain you brought about hope to the world. And I pray that in our pain, in our lives, in our questions, in our doubtful moments, our circumstances, that you bring hope through them. You bring a gift through them. Only you can bring beauty from ashes. Only you can bring beauty from ashes. Only you can bring dancing in more, from mourning. Only you, please, Lord, do that in your people, especially those in this room hurting. Be a comforter and a rock to them. Be a comforter and a rock to them and turn our ashes into beauty in a way that only you can. Thank you for changing everything. If you're here today, maybe this moment, your pain, your circumstances have led you to a very important crossroads in your life. And that is the crossroads of deciding whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. Some of you are in church today because of pain and hurt and you had nowhere else to turn today. Can I tell you, you came to the right place. You came to the right place because he wants you. And he has been calling you. And he has been drawing you. And what he wants from you is simply to follow him. It's to follow him. What are you talking about? I'm talking about being born again. Jesus said it this way. He said to a religious man who should have known better. He said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're first born again. And that word is exactly, that phrase is exactly how it sounds. The old you dies and the new you becomes, you become a new creation and that creation comes to life, a new person. God wants to forgive you of your sins. How do I know that? He sent that baby who grew up to be a man to die on a cross for every sin you've ever committed. 
He died for you. He died for your guilt. He died for your shame. And what, this is what he requires of you. It's a process we call it as easy, as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life. It's not I made some mistakes, I made some bad choices. No, you've sinned against a holy God. He's righteous. You admit that. But then you believe that in his great love, he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for those sins and to die for you. You believe that's not a story, it's reality. And see, you confess that he is now the Lord of your life, that you are giving an allegiance to follow him. And from this moment on, you believe in his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead on the third day with a new life so that you can have a new life. With no one looking around, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to that. This is the gospel, the good news. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be born again. With no one looking around, I just want to give you an opportunity to acknowledge. I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with and give you a moment to say, that's me, I'm praying now. On the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, that's me, Pastor Gabe, thank you. Sir, I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Praise God. Anyone else? This is my moment to be born again. I want to follow Jesus. You can put him down. Church, I want all of us to pray these words with those precious saints as they're becoming saints. Let's pray this out loud with them and mean it from our hearts. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I will not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. God, I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin, and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. And I am eternally yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer today to be born again. Let me give you a quick encouragement before you rush out. If you pray today to be born again and you're wondering, what do I do now? Number one, keep coming. Keep coming and learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus and get to be a part of the family of God. You can also fill out our Connect card, which is that blue card in the pew pocket in front of you, or you can go to the screen. We're going to put up our QR code, and you can just scan that with your phone, and that will take you. Cash. Can we put up that QR code on the screen back there so everyone can see that? But then also, come and let someone pray with you. Come and take a next step. Tell someone about the decision that you made to follow Jesus. Our prayer team is going to be here up front. You can stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. How many of you are glad you came to God's house this morning? Let me pray a blessing over you. Father, I thank you for your people. God, I pray that you make your face to shine on them and give them peace and give them grace. Lord, I pray you would bless them and they're going out and they're coming in. 
and in all that they put their hands to, let it be blessed for your great name and for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, I pray as a church, we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord, that we would be a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges. And all God's people said, amen.